Chapter 22, Part 2 of Ramona. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 22, Part 2 Ramona by Helen Hunt Jackson. The hires were on their way to some hot springs on the north side of the valley. Here they proposed to camp for three months to try the waters for Joss. They had a tent and all that was necessary for living in their primitive fashion. Aunt Ree was looking forward to the rest with great anticipation. She was heartily tired of being on the move. Her husband's anticipations were of a more stirring nature. He had heard that there was good hunting on San Jacinto Mountain. When he found that Alessandro knew the region thoroughly, and had been thinking of settling there, he was rejoiced and proposed to him to become his companion and guide in hunting expeditions. Ramona grasped eagerly at the suggestion. Companionship, she was sure, would do Alessandro good. Companionship, the outdoor life, and the excitement of hunting of which he was fond. This hot spring cannon was only a short distance from the Savoba village of which they had spoken as a possible home which she had from the first desired to try. She no longer had repugnance to the thought of an Indian village. She already felt a sense of kinship and shelter with any Indian people. She had become, as Carmina had said, one of them. A few days saw the two families settled. The hires in their tent and wagon at the hot springs, and Alessandro and Ramona, with the baby, in a little adobe house in the Saboba village. The house belonged to an old Indian woman who, her husband having died, had gone to live with a daughter, and was very glad to get a few dollars by renting her own house. It was a wretched place, one small room walled with poorly made adobe bricks, thatched with tule no floor and only one window. When Alessandro heard Ramona say cheerily, Oh, this will do very well when it is repaired a little, his face was convulsed, and he turned away, but he said nothing. It was the only house to be had in the village, and there were few better. Two months later no one would have known it. Alessandro had had good luck in hunting. Two fine deerskins covered the earth floor, a third was spread over the bedstead, and the horns hung on the walls served for hooks to hang clothes upon. The scarlet calico canopy was again set up over the bed, and the woven cradle on its red manzanita frame stood near. A small window in the door and one more out in the walls let in light and air. On a shelf near one of these windows stood the little Madonna, again wreathed with vines as in San Pasquale. When Aunt Ree first saw the room after it was thus arranged, she put both arms akimbo and stood in the doorway, her mouth wide open, her eyes full of wonder. Finally her wonder framed itself in an ejaculation. Well, I allow you air fixed up. Aunt Ree, at her best estate, had never possessed a room which had the expression of this poor little mud hut of Ramona's. She could not understand it. The more she studied the place, the less she understood it. On returning to the tent, she said to Joss, 
It beats all I ever see the way that Indian woman's got fixed up out or nothing. It ain't no more'n a hovel, a mud hovel, Joss, not much bigger than this year tent for all three on em, and the bed and the stove and everything, and I vow, Joss, she's fixed it so it looks jest like a parlor. It beats me, it does. I'd jest like you to see it. And when Joss saw it and Jeff, they were as full of wonder as Aunt Ree had been. Dimly they recognized the existence of a principle here which had never entered into their life. They did not know it by name, and it could not have been either taught, transferred, or explained to the good-hearted wife and mother who had been so many years the affectionate, disorderly genius of their home. But they felt its charm. And when, one day, after the return of Alessandro and Jeff, from a particularly successful hunt, the two families had sat together to a supper of Ramona's cooking, stewed venison and artichokes and frijoles with chili, their wonder was still greater. "'Ask her if this is Injun style of cooking, Joss,' said Aunt Ree. "'I never thought nothing of beans, but these are good and no mistake.' Ramona laughed. "'No, it is Mexican,' she said. "'I learned to cook from an old Mexican woman.' "'Well, I'd like the receipt, Aunt, but I allow I shouldn't ever get the time to fuss with it,' said Aunt Ree. "'but I may as well get the rule now I'm here.' "'Alessandro began to lose some of his gloom. "'He had earned money. "'He had been lifted out of himself by kindly companionship. "'He saw Ramona cheerful, the little one sunny. "'The sense of home, the strongest passion Alessandro possessed "'next to his love for Ramona, began again to awake in him. "'He began to talk about building a house.' He had found things in the village better than he feared. It was but a poverty-stricken little handful, to be sure. Still, they were unmolested. The valley was large. Their stock ran free. The few white settlers, one at the upper end and two or three on the south side, had manifested no disposition to crowd the Indians. The Ravallo brothers were living on the estate still, and there was protection in that, Alessandro thought and Magella was content. Magella had found friends. Something, not quite hope, but akin to it, began to stir in Alessandro's heart. He would build a house. Magella should no longer live in this mud hut. But to his surprise, when he spoke of it, Ramona said no. They had all they needed now. Was not Alessandro comfortable? She was. It would be wise to wait longer before building. Ramona knew many things that Alessandro did not. While he had been away on his hunts, she had had speech with many a one he never saw. She had gone to the store and post office several times to exchange baskets or lace for flour, and she had heard talk there which disquieted her. She did not believe that Saboba was safe. One day she had heard a man say, if there is a drought, we shall have the devil to pay with our stock before winter is over. Yes, said another, and look at those Indians over there in Savova with water running all the time in their village. It's a shame they should have that spring. Not for worlds would Ramona have told this to Alessandro. She kept it locked in her own breast, but it rankled there like a ceaseless warning and prophecy. When she reached home that day, she went down to the spring in the center of the village, 
and stood a long time looking at the bubbling water. It was indeed a priceless treasure. A long irrigating ditch led from it down into the bottom where lay the cultivated fields, many acres in wheat, barley, and vegetables. Alessandro himself had fields there from which they would harvest all they needed for the horses and their cow all winter, in case pasturage failed. If the whites took away this water, Saboba would be ruined. However, as the spring began in the very heart of the village, they could not take it without destroying the village. And the Ravayos would surely never let that be done, thought Ramona. While they live, it will not happen. It was a sad day for Ramona and Alessandro when the kindly hires pulled up their tent stakes and left the valley. Their intended three months had stretched into six. They had so enjoyed the climate, and the waters had seemed to do such good to Joss. But we ain't rich folks, you know, not by a long ways we ain't, said Aunt Ree. And we've got pretty nigh down to where Jeff and me's got to begin airning something. If we can get settled in some of these towns where there's carpentering to be done. Jeff, he's a master hand to that kind of work, though you mightn't think it. And I can airn right smart at weaving. Just give me a good carpet loom, and I won't be beholden to nobody for vittles. I just do love weaving. I don't know how I've contented myself this whole year or nigh about a year without a loom. Jeff, he says to me once, says he, Ree, do you think you'd be contented in heaven without your loom? And I was free to say I didn't knows I should. Is it hard? cried Ramona. Could I learn to do it? It was wonderful what progress in understanding and speaking English Ramona had made in these six months. She now understood nearly all that was said directly to her, though she could not follow general and confused conversation. "'Well, tis and taint,' said Aunt Ree. "'I don't suppose I'm much of a judge, for I can't remember when I first learned it. I know I sat in the loom to weave when my feet couldn't reach the floor, and I don't remember nothing about fuss learning to spool and warp. I've tried to teach lots of folks, and some learns quick and some don't never learn. It's just that strikes them. I should think now that you was one of the kind could turn your hands to anything.' When we get settled in San Bernardino, if you'll come down there, I'll teach you all I know and be glad to. I don't know's it's going to be much of a place for carpet weaving, though, anywheres round this year country. Not but what there's plenty of rags, but folks seems to be wearing em. Pretty general wear, I should say. I've seen more clothes on folks' backs higher that weren't no more'n fit for carpet rags than any place ever I struck. They're a dreadful chefless lot, these year Mexicans, and the Injuns is wuss. Now, when I say Injuns, I don't never mean you. You know that. You ain't never seemed to me one might like an Injun. Most of our people haven't had any chance, said Ramona. You wouldn't believe it if I were to tell you what things have been done to them, how they are robbed and cheated and turned out of their homes. Then she told the story of Temecula and of San Pasquale in Spanish to Joss, who translated it with no loss in the telling. Aunt Ree was aghast. She found no words to express her indignation. I don't believe the government knows anything about it, she said. Why, they take folks up and penitentiarize them for life back in Tennessee, for things that ain't so bad's that. 
"'Somebody ought to be sent to tell them to Washington what's going on here.' "'I think it's the people in Washington that have done it,' said Ramona sadly. "'Is it not in Washington all the laws are made?' "'I believe so,' said Aunt Ree. "'Ain't it, Joss? It's Congress, ain't it, makes the laws?' "'I believe so,' said Joss. "'They make some, at any rate. I don't know as they make em all.' "'It is all done by the American law,' said Ramona. "'All these things. Nobody can help himself. "'For if anybody goes against the law, he has to be killed or put in prison. "'That was what the sheriff told Alessandro at Temecula. "'He felt very sorry for the Temecula people. The sheriff did. "'But he had to obey the law himself.' "'Alessandro says there isn't any help.' "'Aunt Ree shook her head. She was not convinced. "'I shall make a business of finding out about this thing yet,' she said. "'I think your hain't got the rights on it yet. "'There's cheating somewhere.' "'It's all cheating,' said Ramona. "'But there isn't any help for it, Aunt Ree. "'The Americans think it is no shame to cheat for money.' "'I'm an American,' cried Aunt Ree. "'And Jeff Hire and Joss, we're Americans, "'and we wouldn't cheat nobody, not if we knowed it, "'not out or a dollar. "'We're poor, and I allus expect to be, "'but we're above cheating, and I tell you now, "'the American people don't want any of this cheating done now. "'I'm going to ask Jeff how tis. "'Why, it's a burning shame to any country. "'So tis. "'I think something order be done about it. I wouldn't mind going myself if there wa'n't anybody else. A seed had been sown in Aunt Ree's mind which was not destined to die for want of soil. She was hot with shame and anger and full of impulse to do something. I ain't nobody, she said. I know that well enough. I ain't nobody nor nothing, but I allow I've got something to say about the country I live in and the way things had ought to be. Or at least Jeff has, and that's the same thing. I tell you, Joss, I ain't going to rest, nor to give you and your father no rest nother, till you find out what all this year means she's been telling us. But sharper and closer anxieties than any connected with rights to lands and homes were pressing upon Alessandro and Ramona. All summer the baby had been slowly drooping, so slowly that it was each day possible for Ramona to deceive herself thinking that there had been since yesterday no loss, perhaps a little gain. But looking back from the autumn to the spring, and now from the winter to the autumn, there was no doubt that she had been steadily going down. From the day of that terrible chill in the snowstorm, she had never been quite well, Ramona thought. Before that, she was strong, always strong, always beautiful and merry. Now her pinched little face was sad to see, and sometimes for hours she made a feeble, wailing cry without any apparent cause. All the simple remedies that Aunt Ree had known had failed to touch her disease. In fact, Aunt Ree from the first had been baffled in her own mind by the child's symptoms. Day after day Alessandro knelt by the cradle, his hands clasped, his face set, Hour after hour, night and day, indoors and out, he bore her in his arms, trying to give her relief. Prayer after prayer to the Virgin, to the saints, Ramona had said. And candles by the dozen, though money was now scant, she had burned before the Madonna. All in vain. 
At last, she implored Alessandro to go to San Bernardino and see a doctor. Find Aunt Re, she said. She will go with you, with Joss, and talk to him. She can make him understand. Tell Aunt Re she seems just as she did when they were here, only weaker and thinner. Alessandro found Aunt Re in a sort of shanty on the outskirts of San Bernardino. Not to rights yet, she said, as if she ever would be. Jeff had found work, and Joss, too, had been able to do a little on pleasant days. He had made a loom and put up a loom house for his mother, a floor just large enough to hold the loom, rough walls, and a roof, one small square window. That was all. But if Aunt Ree had been presented with a palace, she would not have been so well pleased. Already she had woven a rag carpet for herself, was at work on one for a neighbor, and had promised as many more as she could do before spring. The news of the arrival of a rag carpet weaver having gone with dispatch all through the lower walks of San Bernardino life. I wouldn't have believed they had so many rags besides what they're wearing, said Aunt Ree, as sack after sack appeared at her door. Already, too, Aunt Ree had gathered up the threads of the village life. In her friendly, impressionable way she had come into relation with scores of people and knew who was who and what was what and why among them all, far better than many an old resident of the town. When she saw Benito galloping up to her door, she sprang down from her high stool at the loom and ran bareheaded to the gate, and before Alessandro had dismounted, cried, "'You're just the man I wanted. I've been trying to arrange it so's we could go down and see her, but Jeff couldn't leave the job he's got, and I'm druv nigh about off my feet.' "'and I don't know when we'd have fetched it. "'How's all? "'Why didn't you come in the wagon and fetch em along? "'I've got heaps to tell you. "'I allowed you hadn't got the rights of them things. "'The government ain't on the side of the thieves, as you said. "'I know they couldn't be, "'and they've just sent out a man a purpose to look after things for you, "'to take care of the engines and nothing else. "'That's what he's here for. "'He come last month. "'He's a real nice man.' I seen him and talked with him a spell last week. I'm going to make his wife a rag carpet. And there's a doctor, too, to tend you when you're sick, and the government pays him. You don't have to pay nothing. And I tell you, that's a heap of saving to get your doctorin' for nothing. Aunt Ree was out of breath. Alessandro had not understood half, she said. He looked about helplessly for Joss. Joss was away. In his broken English, he tried to explain what Ramona had wished her to do. "'Doctor, that's just what I'm telling you. There is one here's paid by the government to tend to the engines that's sick. I'll go and show you to his house. I can tell him just how the baby is. Perhaps he'll drive down and see her.' "'Ah, if he would. What would Magella say should she see him enter the door bringing a doctor?' Luckily, Joss returned in time to go with them to the doctor's house as interpreter. Alessandro was bewildered. He could not understand this new phase of affairs. Could it be true? As they walked along, he listened with trembling, half-incredulous hope to Joss's interpretation of Aunt Ree's voluble narrative. The doctor was in his office. To Aunt Ree's statement of Alessandro's errand, he listened indifferently, and then said, "'Is he an agency Indian?' "'A what?' exclaimed Aunt Ree. 
Does he belong to the agency? Is his name on the agency books? No, said she. He never hearn of any agency till I was telling him just now. We knew him, him and her, over in San Jacinto. He lives in Saboba. He's never been to San Bernardino since the agent come out. Well, is he going to put his name on the books? said the doctor impatiently. You ought to have taken him to the agent first. Ain't you the government doctor for all engines? asked Aunt Ree wrathfully. That's what I heard. Well, my good woman, you hear a great deal, I expect, that isn't true. And the doctor laughed coarsely, but not ill-naturedly, Alessandro all the time studying his face with the scrutiny of one awaiting life and death. I am the agency physician, and I suppose all the Indians will sooner or later come in and report themselves to the agent. You'd better take this man over there. What does he want now? Aunt Ree began to explain the baby's case. Cutting her short, the doctor said, Yes, yes, I understand. I'll give him something that will help her. And going into an inner room, he brought out a bottle of dark-colored liquid, wrote a few lines of prescription, and handed it to Alessandro, saying, That will do her good, I guess. Thanks, senor, thanks, said Alessandro. The doctor stared. That's the first Indian said thank you in this office, he said. You tell the agent you've brought him a rara avis. What's that, Joss? said Aunt Ree as they went out. Dunno, said Joss. I don't like that man anyhow, Mammy. He's no good. Alessandro looked at the bottle of medicine like one in a dream. Would it make the baby well? Had it indeed been given to him by that great government in Washington? Was he to be protected now? Could this man, who had been sent out to take care of Indians, get back his San Pasquale farm for him? Alessandro's brain was in a whirl. From the doctor's office they went to the agent's house. Here Aunt Ree felt herself more at home. "'I've brought ye that engine I was telling ye of,' she said with a wave of her hand toward Alessandro. "'We've been to the doctor's to get some medicine for his baby. She's real sick, I'm afeard.' The agent sat down at his desk, opened a large ledger, saying as he did so, "'The man's never been here before, has he?' "'No,' said Aunt Ree. "'What is his name?' Joss gave it, and the agent began to write it in the book. "'Stop him!' cried Alessandro agitatedly to Joss. "'Don't let him write till I know what he puts my name in his book for.' "'Wait,' said Joss. He doesn't want you to write his name in that book. He wants to know what it's put there for. Wheeling his chair with a look of suppressed impatience, yet trying to speak kindly, the agent said, There's no making these Indians understand anything. They seem to think if I have their names in my book, it gives me some power over them. Well, don't it? said the direct-minded Aunt Ree. Hain't yer got any power over em? If yer hain't got it over em, who have yer got it over? "'What you going to do for em? The agent laughed in spite of himself. "'Well, Aunt Ree—she was already Aunt Ree to the agent's boys. "'That's just the trouble with this agency. "'It is very different from what it would be if I had all my Indians on a reservation.' Alessandro understood the words, "'My Indians.' He had heard them before. "'What does he mean by his Indians, Joss?' he asked fiercely. 
I will not have my name in this book if it makes me his. When Joss reluctantly interpreted this, the agent lost his temper. That's all the use there is trying to do anything with them. Let him go then if he doesn't want any help from the government. Oh, no, no, cried Aunt Ree. You just explain it to Joss and he'll make him understand. Alessandro's face had darkened. All this seemed to him exceedingly suspicious. Could it be possible that Aunt Ree and Joss, the first whites except Mr. Hartzell he had ever trusted, were deceiving him? No, that was impossible. But they themselves might be deceived. That they were simple and ignorant, Alessandro well knew. Let us go, he said. I do not wish to sign any paper. Now, don't be a fool, will you? You ain't signin' a thing, said Aunt Ree. Joss, you tell him I say there ain't anything abindin' him havin' his name in that book. It's only so the agent can know what Injuns wants help and where they are. Ain't that so? she added, turning to the agent. Tell him he can't have the agency doctor if he ain't on the agency books. Not have the doctor? Give up this precious medicine which might save his baby's life? No, he could not do that. Magella would say, let the name be written, rather than that. Let him write the name, then, said Alessandro doggedly. But he went out of the room, feeling as if he had put a chain around his neck. End of chapter 22, part 2